The Old Testament reading is taken from parts of chapter 11 and 12 of the book of Ecclesiastes. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you for that beautiful meditative piece, which I'm sure we all appreciated very much. Just a, a comment before I begin and before we turn toward the New Testament. Normally I don't comment at this point on the Old Testament passage, but let me just make one comment on that word meaningless, which is a very important word in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with it, you know this. And probably meaningless uh, is not the best translation of that word, uh, because if indeed God will bring to judgment uh, all that we do in our younger years, uh, then they are certainly not meaningless. They are meaningful. The Hebrew word there is, is hebel, and literally it means a breath or, or vapor, something that disappears very quickly. A couple of weeks ago, my wife Renata was here, and, and uh, one of the things we did one day was to take a ferry across a lake to the west of here, and uh, when we got onto that ferry, there was a little cloud cover over the lake, and you couldn't see across, you couldn't see uh, the shore, you couldn't see much of anything. By the time we got to the other side, however, suddenly that cloud cover was gone. It had just disappeared, and... You could see the full length of the lake. It was a stunningly beautiful, sunny day. So that disappearing act of the cloud is, is Hebel. That's Hebel. And, uh, and I think that is, is a better uh, interpretation of the word here. And really, that explains, you know, youth and vigor. Young people who are here. I don't see many of them, but... Uh, Enjoy youth and vigor while you have them because before you know it, they are in the rearview mirror of life. They are behind you. And uh, they are to be enjoyed while you have them. That's the point here of the author of Ecclesiastes. Before I read the New Testament passage, let me uh, take this opportunity to express to you a wholehearted thank you for your congregational support of the St. Paul Cultural Center in Antalya, Turkey, um, for over 20 years now. That's a long time uh, to be faithfully supporting a ministry as you have done. I should add that our current project, the Mosaic Cultural Center, uh, builds upon the 20-plus year history of the St. Paul Cultural Center. SPCC, as we call it, has flourished and has spun off or served at least a dozen congregations over the years. And countless people have come to faith in Christ and have been served in his name at the St. Paul Cultural Center. And Mosaic will just multiply this impact for Christ. And the construction of Mosaic has already begun and it is due to be finished, uh, Lord willing, and funds coming <laughs> in one year's time by the end of September uh, 2022. It, we still need about 580000 of the product project total of $1.5 million U.S. dollars. So it's a big project, but Antalya is 
uh, and, and especially the church in Antalya, are rapidly growing. And Mosaic will be a, a magnet for both young and old and a lead-in to the love of Christ and to the life uh, of his church. So if you'd like to learn more about Mosaic, please read that one-page insert of the project rationale that should have gotten into your bulletin. And you can send me an email if you have a follow-up question, or you can visit the website, mosaicontalia.com. In any case, thank you in advance for whatever interest you show in this Christ-honoring project. Our New Testament passage is from Revelation chapter 1. Verses 1 through 8. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. I cannot claim a perfect record of daily Bible reading, as perhaps some of you can. But when I am at my habitual best, I read an average of three chapters a day. When at home, I usually sit down in a well-used rocking chair that Renata and I bought back in the early 1990s, and three items are located next to that chair. The first item is uh, a candle, and I'll often light that candle because that candle reminds me that I am to be a light for Christ in this world behaving in ways that bring glory to our Father in heaven. And that candle, especially when I light it at night, reminds me that the light of just one candle amidst deep darkness can make a profound difference in helping others to grasp God's truth. The second item is a living plant, an orchid currently, 
That plant for me is a reminder that the Word of God is living and active and sharp and penetrating, and it judges me rather than I being the one who judges it. It teaches and challenges me, and as God's Word, like seed, takes deeper root in my mind and heart, I pray, I pray that the foliage and fruit become increasingly evident in my life. The third item is a compass, a very special compass. My father's company, Boltima Dock and Dredge, purchased and scrapped a decommissioned Lake Michigan car ferry back when I was five years old in 1967. And this hefty compass comes from that ship. When I graduated from Wheaton College, my father gave me that compass as a gift. And over the years, that compass has come to symbolize for me the faith that has been instilled and inspirited in me from the run-up to 20 to the downhill from 50. I am unspeakably thankful for that compass and in particular for the gift of faith that it symbolizes. And what I'd like to do for you today is to create in your minds an imaginary gift from your heavenly Father. A compass for your faith journey, for your Godward trajectory through life, or for any portion of that journey, such as the period in between two pastors of a church, that typically difficult interim period. And I'm only going to suggest four cardinal points of your faith compass. Let's call them north, south, east, and west. But you could certainly identify additional points, up to 360 points, in fact. But I think having just four or perhaps eight uh, memorable points on your, uh, uh, albeit metaphorical, but um, spiritual compass of faith can be very beneficial for the exciting beginnings of your everlasting faith. In Christ. And I say, or I should say, everlasting life in Christ. Our faith will eventually be fulfilled. I say exciting beginnings because of the Holy Spirit. I love the Apostle John's self description in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. We didn't quite get that far in chapter 1, but if we had gone on, we would come, have come to John's uh, introduction of himself. And he says that. On the Lord's day, by this time, keep in mind, he was, he was pretty old. He was well along in years. And he says, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. That's a curious self-description, is it not? We might say that on the Lord's day, I was in church. But very few of us would be so bold as to say that on the Lord's day, I was uh, in the Spirit. I should add, it's not altogether clear if the Lord's Day was even Sunday by that point in church history. But in any case, uh, without question, 
that worshipful, high-hearted state that John was in would have been the greatest enjoyment of his otherwise persecutive existence on the island of Patmos, where he had been exiled. Well, let me suggest, friends, that our potential for greatest enjoyment in life, even amidst affliction, is living in the Spirit. Imagine a park on a hot, blustery summer day with a big fountain spouting water into the air. Now, where will all the children in that park be playing? Of course, in that fountain's spray. And that spray is an analogy of what the Holy Spirit is for us. In many places in the New Testament, Jesus uh, is likened to the fount or spring of living water. And that fount's spray in the wind can symbolize for us the Spirit's activity in our lives. We, God's children, are to be at play, as it were, in the Spirit spray of Jesus, the fount of living water. However, although John was in the Spirit, the focus of his intention and uh, the scope of his faith were much broader, as ours must be. Our thought and faith must have a biblical balance, as his had. And so, returning now to the compass metaphor, the main point of my sermon today is concisely this. To enjoy the spirit spray of Jesus, we must heed our Heavenly Father's compass. To enjoy the spirit spray of Jesus, heed your compass of faith. Now let the north of that compass be represented by one word, God. Our God is triune, a mysterious reality reality that comes out subtly in our New Testament passage. In John's greeting to the seven churches in the province of Asia, churches that were, by the way, representative of many other churches in the province of Asia at the time, we read, grace and peace to you from him who was, pardon me, from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits, or literally the sevenfold spirit, before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, John gives us a subtle but inspired description of the marvelous but mystifying triunity of God here. Special attention is given to Jesus, the source and the sub- subject of the revelation. Jesus was perfectly what we aspire to be imperfectly, a faithful witness. He is also the firstborn from the dead, and he essentially promises us, his followers, that we will be among the nextborn from the dead. His resurrection prefigures ours. 
And Jesus is also the ruler of the kings of the earth. Even just this first section of Revelation would have offered unparalleled encouragement to first century believers who were uh, so often harassed and maltreated because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. Well, have you noticed before just how not just Christ-centered, but God-centered this opening of the book of Revelation is? John starts out with eight marvelously meaty, theocentric verses before he introduces himself. In comparison, I can't help but think about how person or even self-centered contemporary conversations and correspondences tend to be. Even enthusiastic, evangelistic Christians unwittingly allow themselves to slip into the due north position on their compasses of faith as their stories become central rather than God himself. Friends, we should not so prominently think of ourselves, but rather as devoted theologians, we should eagerly engage in thought and talk about God. Last June, we had our 24th season of Olive Grove, which normally serves youth um, ages 8 to 18 in Antalya. We meet along uh, this beautiful seaside village uh, on the Mediterranean coastline. And uh, as I was going to mention These last two years, we've served families, so the camp has been smaller because of the pandemic. But uh, we gather along the sea there, right near the flaming base of Mount Olympos, the famed Mount Olympos. And one evening, before bed, I remember just going outside and um, underneath the stars, simply uh, taking time to, to meditate upon God. And I thought about God as I am who I am, who was with Moses and in the very same way has been with us. And we've come to know him also, as Moses did, as dependable and faithful and worthy, most worthy of our worship and our trust. The triune God is eternal, And only he is. Although he does offer us everlasting life, technically, which we gain through faith in Christ, none of us has or can have literal eternal life. Because we all have had distinct beginnings. We were all born. But God is the almighty Alpha and the Omega, the A in the Z, and he sovereignly rules over all human history. Nothing can happen to us apart from his plan. At times, it may seem to us that God has lost control of this world or has even turned against us, because we do. We do get caught up in the pervasive currents of human sin and God's unfolding judgments in this world. They do affect us. But scripture teaches and reminds us that God is in control. And he is good. 
He watches over his servants. He is for us, not against us. And all glory and power belong to him. We need to constantly remind ourselves and be ready to remind others of who God is. A few weeks ago, Renata and I were in Seattle, Washington, and we had an evening with a group of about 10 people there, at least one of whom I know was an atheist. And Astley had no idea where the others, uh, at least a few of the others were with regard to God. But I did know that before that special evening that we had together came to an end, I had this deep desire to lead them all in prayer. And so I simply asked uh, toward the end of the evening if we, could simp- if we could pray together. No one objected, not even the atheist. And in fact, <laughs> we held hands which seemed rather strange during this pandemic season. It felt a little awkward, but it's an indication of just how intimate the conversation was that evening. And friends, I had the honor of praying for a couple that is engaged and is uh, preparing to be married. And I had the honor of praying for others who are facing difficult and even daunting situations in life right now. And of just reminding them all that the Almighty God is good and that He is quietly but truly at work in their lives, on their behalf. Dear friend, think, think, think about God. He is your true north. Be careful to orientate your life around not yourself or any other person, place, or thing, but around God. And as a result, you will find that the sevenfold spirit thrives in you. His thrilling activity will flourish in and through your life. Let the south of your compass be represented by one word, revelation. The first time I traveled to the island of Patmos, where John received the revelation, was about 15 years ago. It was winter, and very few tourists were on the island, thankfully. (laughs) I entered the cave of St. John, where ancient tradition says that he dwelled and received the vision And I sat down alone in that cave, and I read Revelation from beginning to end. And I wasn't bothered by anybody. An hour or so later, I came away from that cave with an intensified confidence in the unadorned gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins, not his own that he was buried as one who was truly lifeless, not just comatose, and that he was raised from the dead to resurrection life, which he promises to all those who believe in him and are victors through him here on earth. 
We have this gospel message encapsulated and elaborated in the New Testament, and we are so fortunate, people. God's word revealed to us, combined in both the Old and New Testament, ranks as a fundamental point on our compass of faith because it is authoritative, understandable, indispensable, and sufficient. That is to say, God's intelligible revelation is to be believed and obeyed. His revelation teaches us the way of salvation and of sanctification. And God's revelation is necessary for full knowledge of his will. The Holy Spirit takes the seeds of God's word and plants them in our minds and hearts and brings them to life. Indeed, where God's word abounds... The work of his spirit astounds. Recently, I had a medical appointment in Antalya, just before coming here, in fact. And the first question that I was asked by the woman who was about to treat me was this. Which translated is, would you please give me a New Testament? And of course, I said. And after the appointment, I went down to my car, took a New Testament from my glove compartment, wrote her a note in the front with contact information, and I brought it back to her. She took that book from my hand with reverence. I had marked in it 1 Corinthians 13. And then and there, with other people in the office. She read that chapter from beginning to end. She read it as one might eat a long overdue meal. She devoured it. And after she finished reading, she said, she said this, no one loves like that. Such love is unheard of. And I said to her, there is such love with God. And I just let the truth of that, the seed of that truth sink in. I can't even remember her name. But friends, we can be sure that with such a hunger for God's word, the Holy Spirit will be at work in her life. Let the east of your compass be represented by one word, grace. Grace and peace to you, says John, whereas a typical writer would have begun uh, a letter with the conventional karein, or greetings, as I begin some of my emails with greetings. Very typical. Uh, but John... Uh, gives us a little wordplay uh, in the same manner of Paul and Peter in other books of the New Testament. And he says, Cottus, John beseeches God to give his readers unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. 
And with just that one word, John reminds his readers of their forgiveness, of their justification, and of their redemption in Christ, their deliverance from sin unto everlasting life. And coupled with the next noun, peace, carrying with it the Old Testament concept of shalom, or holistic well-being, John pinpoints our greatest need in life. And that need, friends, is to have a growing experience with God's grace and peace. Let us pray day by day that we would have such a growing experience, and not only us, but our loved ones as well. That said... Who of us can even grasp the immensity of grace that God has given to us? Think on it. On behalf of the eternal, almighty, triune God, the gifted Jesus loves us. That's present tense. That's ongoing. And he has freed us from our sins by his blood. Surely, Our God superabounds in loving kindness, freighting our lives with grace upon grace upon grace. Even as we forget about Him and about His good and perfect will. If the north, south, and east of our metaphorical compass stand for God, revelation, and grace then let the west of our compass be represented by this generally disliked word of judgment. Look, he, that is Jesus Christ, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Well, here in verse 7, we have an echo of a prophecy of Zechariah and of Christ himself in Matthew 24, verse 30. And what clearly seems to trigger the response of mourning here is nothing other than the sudden arrival of the final judgment. The church today, I dare say, thinks too little and too nonchalantly about the final judgment of God. There is, of course, a lot that we cannot yet know about the judgment to come, but we do know from Scripture that the God who passionately hates all that corrupts his creation, that exploits his creatures, that persecutes his people, and that otherwise flouts his purposes here on earth will eventually and utterly be wiped out. And God's offer of free, unmerited grace will expire along with time itself. This should underscore for us believers the need to urge others to accept God's grace without delay while there is still time. 
along with profound gratitude to God for his gift of grace, the necessary and inescapable judgment to come should inspire in us a sense of God's holistic mission and of our roles in it. But what about us believers? How will God's judgment ultimately affect us, especially in light of how unholy we sometimes are and act? Well, let's take a quick look at perhaps the worst reputed church in Scripture. (laughs) And it'll be quick because I know it's getting late. And uh, let us hear the judgment of Christ upon it. Now Christ, through uh, his servant John, had absolutely nothing good to say about the late first century church in Laodicea. Now, brace yourselves, friends, as uh, you listen to God's assessment of and judgment upon this church from Revelation chapter 3. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And that word spit, by the way, is a euphemism in translation. The actual word there is vomit. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now, here comes a twist of God's judgment. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door of your church and knock. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Do you find this astonishing? as I do. I've heard of dogs returning to that which they had vomited. But God? Compelled by love, Christ returns to the door of the nauseating church that he had found to be puke-worthy. He longingly seeks and patiently awaits renewed intimacy with them. Do you get the point, beloved? The point 
is this. The one who judges us most severely is the one who loves us most steadfastly. To enjoy the spirit spray of Jesus in our lives, we must heed our Heavenly Father's compass, the north, south, east, and west of which should be, I suggest, God, revelation, grace, and judgment. One day, when I was 14 years old, my parents, uh, four of my siblings, and I were sailing on our family yacht in the Bahama Islands. It was a clear day. There was no land in sight, and my older sister Carol was at the helm. And suddenly Carol called out, rocks up ahead. My father immediately came up on deck, and he asked a curious question. Are you on course? And Carol answered, yes, I am, but every 20 seconds or so, way up ahead, there's spray in the air, and that spray must be waves hitting rocks. Impossible, my father said, reviewing the navigational chart. It's not rocks, he continued. It's a whale. (laughs) Then he added, just trust the compass, Carol, and keep the course. Well, amazingly, that sperm whale, much longer than our 14-meter sailboat, came directly to us. Its massive body even nudged our hull as it passed by. And when it was abreast of us, the whale surfaced and it exhaled, spouting a spray of water in the air that just made us children want to play. I can keenly remember the exhilaration of that serendipitous encounter. To have chased that whale for more of it would have been futile. Within seconds, it was gone. But by keeping our course, the whale found us. And it just did its thing. Trust your father's compass of faith, friends, and keep the course that God has marked out for you. Think devotedly upon God, his revelation, grace, and judgment. And be assured that the Holy Spirit will find you and use you. Heed your compass of faith and prepare to play in the Spirit's spray.